Good evening. Welcome to our study. As we continue digging into this question, why? Why do we believe the Bible is God's infallible, inerrant word? I'm joining you tonight by video because I am at our movement's summer conference. I'm in Bend, and uh, but I'm joining you tonight by way of video. It is great to study with you. Let's have prayer together, and then we're going to jump right into our study. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you promised us your word, that you would teach us and you would guide us into all truth by your Holy Spirit. We welcome the Holy Spirit right now to empower me to teach the Word of God. We welcome the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of everyone's understanding and to give wisdom and revelation that we might discover and see the wonder and the miracle of your holy divine Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week we discovered that the Holy Bible is trustworthy, it is reliable, because it is given by Almighty God, that He commanded men to write His words, and that the Holy Spirit empowered men to write not their mind and their own thoughts, but to write the mind and the thoughts of Almighty God. We discovered that the Bible is accurate and true because as men wrote, they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit and that the Lord Jesus Christ himself confirmed the Word of God, the Holy Spirit confirms the Word of God, and the Word of God itself confirms that it is the Word of God and we discovered that it is historically accurate and true. And so it's confirmed by historicity. Now, in your handouts tonight, there is a chart that helps you measure uh, how close to the original manuscripts the particular translation that you may be using is. If, uh, as the arrow moves to the right, it's moving away from being a translation word for word from the original manuscripts. As it's moving towards the left, it is more closely tied to a word for word translation from the original manuscripts. Now what is amazing and wonderful when we, when we look at the Word of God is we find that we have more original documents of the Holy Scripture than any other ancient manuscript in existence. We have more original documents of the Holy Scripture than we have of the writings of Shakespeare than we have of the writings of other ancient writers, uh, such as, as uh, the writings of Josephus, the Jewish historian, or, or other uh, ancient historical writers. We have more manuscripts 
of the Holy Bible than any other. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1948, as they were being translated, they found that they had an entire manuscript of the book of Isaiah. And as they uh, translated that book of Isaiah and, and was able to open the scroll, they discovered that that manuscript was 1,000 years older than any manuscript they had had up to that time of the Holy Bible. Here's what was amazing. It was word for word exactly the same as your King James or New King James or Modern English or the English Standard Version that you have, the NIV version that you have of the book of Isaiah. There were some differences in spelling, there were some differences in the, uh, in the punctuation, but it was word for word exactly the same. What am I saying? I'm saying God has preserved His holy scriptures down through the millennia. How wonderful and how amazing it is to have God's holy word. Well, last week we were looking at how reliable are the holy scriptures. We discovered they're absolutely inerrant, infallible. Tonight we want to look at how did we get the Holy Bible? How did we get the 66 books of the Holy Bible? Well, the first, and, and by the way, that is called canon. C-A-N-O-N. Canon means measuring. It's like, it's like a ruler, okay? How do you measure 12 inches? How do you measure 24 inches? Uh, how do you measure 36 inches, okay? Well, if you've got a 12-inch ruler or, or a, a 36, a yardstick, a 36-inch ruler, or if you've got um, one of those uh, 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 yardsticks that's uh, got 48 uh, feet to it or, or 64 feet to it, um, you, can, you can measure, right? Canon, it's the measuring. And so when we're saying the 66 books of the Bible is the canon, we are saying those books have been measured, they have been evaluated, and they have been found to be the accurate word of Almighty God. And they are the measuring of all other things that we say is from God. If someone says, I have a prophetic word, or someone gives a tongue and interpretation, or if someone says, I've got a teaching from the word of God, you measure it by the canon. You measure it by the 66 books of the Bible. Well, how did we get those 66 books of the Bible? Well, you need to know that the Old Testament scriptures, um, they were the first to be, uh, to be established as canon. And uh, I want to make sure, because I don't have the, uh, the projection tonight to help you know which, uh, what are the fill in the blanks, I'm going to help you as we go along. So your first fill in the blank. How are the Holy Scriptures and 
how old are the Holy Scriptures and when did they become canon? C-A-N-O-N. How old are the Holy Scriptures and when did they become canon? Well, the uh, first five books of the Old Testament were written by Moses somewhere between 1446 uh, B.C. and 1486 B.C. First five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were written by, uh, by Moses. The canon of the Old Testament, okay, so the uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, Genesis, we know it as Genesis to Malachi, those 39 books, they were uh, established as canon as early as uh, 450, um, um, excuse me, as early as, uh, as Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Now, uh, Daniel was a prophet uh, in the nation of Babylon, we know, to King Nebuchadnezzar, and then to Darius, and then as late as as Cyrus, we we know that that he was a prophet to those leaders. So he was a prophet in Babylon from sometime around 560 B.C. to somewhere around 490 uh, uh, B.C. In that area, those are. Those are our ballpark numbers. And so what do we know? We know that by, by that time, by around 500 BC, that the canon of the Old Testament was established. Well, how do we know that? Because we know that Daniel refers to the book of Jeremiah as Holy Scripture and said he was studying the book of Jeremiah and he discovered that God had said that these number of years you will be in exile and then I'll bring you back to the land. And so uh, we, we know that the Old Testament canon was established by that time. Now what do we also know? We also know that the Old Testament was written between 14 uh, 46 to 1486 BC by Moses and up till around uh, as I said uh, 450 to 500 BC and that was when the final books of the Old Testament were written. We know that Ezra read from the Holy Scriptures this is recorded in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 8 and again in chapter 9 verse 3 it says that that Ezra read from the Holy Scriptures and revival was birthed uh, in the city of Jerusalem among the Jewish people. In Matthew chapter 24 verses 15 and 16, Jesus quotes from the book of Daniel chapter 9 and he calls it canon. He calls it Holy Scripture. In John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus validated the Old Testament canon. And we have that happening again in, in multiple times in the New Testament that, uh, that Old Testament canon is validated in 
the New Testament. Now, what about the New Testament canon? Okay, we have the 39 books of the Old Testament established as canon by as early as 450 to 500 BC. So that's 450 to 500 years before Jesus, the canon was established and then Jesus in his public ministry over and over again referred to the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God. I'm thinking particular of Matthew chapter 5 when he said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Heaven and earth would pass away before one jot or tittle, one punctuation mark of the Old Testament would pass away. Wow! Jesus is saying that Genesis to Malachi is Holy Scripture and it would be easier for the sun or the moon to stop shining and for our solar system to stop existing. It would be easier for that to happen than for one word of the Old Testament to fade away and to not be true. It's absolutely the infallible Word of God. Well, what about the New Testament? What about the 27 books of the New Testament? What do we know about that? Well, what we do know is that, and this is your next blank space, that all the books of the New Testament were written by 90 A.D. Okay, so let's say 55 to 60 years after Jesus Christ was crucified. Within those first 55 years, the entire New Testament was written. Now, this is completely contrary to what you will hear about some of the Gnostic writers and the, and the rewrite of history. But we know that to be, to be true. Matthew was written in 60 AD. Uh, early Christian writers quoted Matthew and referred to it as the first gospel between 50 and 65 AD. It was, it was written. Mark was written in 65 AD. Luke was written in 59 AD. Luke wrote the gospel previous to the book of Acts, uh, which was written during uh, during the time of Paul's first imprisonment. John was written in 85 AD. Acts was written in 62 AD. The, the, uh, uh, the epistles of the Apostle Paul were written between 50 and 67 AD. Hebrew was written in 71 AD. James in 48 AD. Peter's epistles were written between 61 and 68 AD. John's epistles, 1, 2, and 3, and the book of Revelation was written in 90 A.D., and the book of Jude was written in 65 A.D. All of those, the New Testament, the New Testament was written by 90 A.D. Wow. Wow. Within, within those first uh, 60 years of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, the entire... New Testament was written. Now, the New Testament affirms that it is the Holy Scripture. The New Testament itself affirms that, that it is indeed uh, the Holy Scripture. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 7. 1 Timothy 5, 18, the Apostle Paul quotes Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Let's take a moment, look those two passages up. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing, and uh, and what is he doing? He, uh, in this passage of Scripture, in Luke chapter 5, verse 18, what is he doing? He's quoting the Gospel of Luke. Listen, for the Scriptures, he says, for the Scriptures, he's referring to Scriptures, says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of, of his wages okay now what do we know well go with me to Luke chapter 10 I said, I said uh, verse 17, and actually it's verse 7. Excuse me for that. Okay. And remain in the house eating and drinking, such as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Now, I, I want you to notice again, the Apostle Paul said that the Scriptures, so he is calling the Gospel of Luke Scriptures, and then he quotes from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, this, this is important that we understand that the New Testament confirms itself as Holy Scripture. The Apostle Peter refers to the writings of the Apostle Paul. We read that last week in 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. He refers to the writings of the Apostle Paul as Scripture, and he says, boy, they're hard to understand. They're difficult to understand. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote it, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said the church is built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, referring to the Holy Scriptures. Not only the Old Testament prophets, but the New Testament apostles. He's referring to the fact that the church is built upon the foundation of the writings of the prophets and the writings of the apostles. Wow, that is powerful. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, 11 to 12, and in verse 16 about the canon. And may I read that? Go with me, would you please, to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians is in the New Testament. Going to go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. You get to Galatians, 
and uh, go with me to chapter 1, if you would, please. <clears throat> and uh, we're, we're going to read um, verses 11 and 12. Then we're going to go over to chapter 6. He said, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct and, and how he was, was persecuted. Now, he received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul's writings comes directly from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he, he goes on to say, and I want you to know that if, that if anybody preaches uh, anything other than the gospel that you have heard, whether it's by angel or by a man, that uh, uh, let, let him be accursed. And, and then he said it again. I, I, I want to say it to you again, that if anyone preaches any other gospel than what, what you have heard, let him be accursed. Why? Because he's basing it upon the fact that he has received revelation from Jesus Christ and, and his writings are Holy Scripture and it's based upon the Word of God. Listen to what he says over here in chapter 6. He said, uh, again, I'm sorry, let me, let me, let me get the, uh, the exact passage that, that I was wanting to read in uh, verse 16. He said uh, in chapter 6, 16, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel of God. It's Holy Scripture. He's referring to the canon. And it's, uh, so when we're, when we're talking about when was the New Testament established as canon, we know that the Old Testament was established as canon way back um, uh, 500 years before Jesus Christ. But what about the New Testament? When was it established as canon? Well, we know that even in the writings of the Scripture, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter both refer to the Gospel of Luke, the writings of the Apostle Paul, as Holy Scripture. Um, and even in the writings of what are called the Apostolic Fathers. And, and these are the church leaders immediately following the original apostles. Uh, Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul, Matthew, uh, okay, all, all of those that, that, uh, that were the original apostles. The apostolic fathers are those men that were mentored and trained by them and, uh, and rose them up as the next generation of leaders. Their writings are called the writings of the apostolic fathers. And, uh, and they go from, from 96 A.D. on up to 300 A.D. And in all of their writings, 
they, they quote 36,000 passages from the 27 books of the New Testament and they refer to them as scripture. 36,000 quotes from the 27 books of the New Testament and they're referred to as Holy Scripture. In 115 AD, John Polycarp, who was the disciple of the Apostle John himself, referred to the New Testament as Holy Scripture. In 175 AD, there is a document written in 175 AD called the Muratorian Fragment. It evaluates the canon of the various books of the New Testament along with those that had not been considered worthy of inclusion in, with those 27 books. This document lists 23 of the current 27 books of the New Testament. In 175 AD, 23 of the current 27 books were considered holy canon. Those that were still being evaluated was the book of Hebrews, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, uh, and uh, they, they were still being evaluated whether they were to be included or not. Uh, by 180 AD, Arrhenius, a, a disciple of John Polycarp, so you have the Apostle John, disciple John Polycarp, John Polycarp, disciple Arrhenius, and Arrhenius wrote identifying the following books as Holy Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2nd Thessalonians, 1 and 2nd Timothy, Titus, 1st Peter, 1st John, Revelation. Wow. And by the time we get to 367 A.D., uh, the all 27 books of the New Testament were established as Scripture, as we have it now. Now, at, at that point, when, when we're getting to that point of uh, 367 A.D., we, we have to understand that uh, up to that time, there had been a great call for the establishment of a canon. And there had been, there had been some, some great men of God that had been looking into this and calling for a full establishment of what would be considered the Holy Bible. The Old Testament was, was, was absolutely established as canon because the Lord Jesus Christ himself had established that as canon. That wasn't so much the question. The real question was, okay, what are we going to consider as the canon of the New Testament. The reason that this was becoming such a question was because a major challenge had come out in 140 AD when uh, a man named Marcion had launched a movement that began subverting the Holy Scripture. He was anti-Semitic, he hated Jewish people, he hated the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament. He hated Jehovah of the Old Testament. Now, this is very interesting. The, the man was very subversive and, and he was very um, anti-God. But he 
formed his own canon which included the uh, the Gospel of Luke and ten of the writings of the Apostle Paul so the Gospel of Luke and the ten writings of the Apostle Paul now because of an adulterous lifestyle his own father who was one of the leaders in the church at that time excommunicated him from the church and so he upon being expelled he formed his own movement of course and in his own movement he did away with marriage and he expunged from uh, the writings of the Apostle Paul and from the Gospel of Luke anything that would have included Old Testament quotes he, he expunged it and so in response to Marcion and other schools who at, at, uh, by this time Gnosticism had gained a lot of traction uh, in Syria and in Egypt uh, and the church was uh, was needing to define what is holy canon and so by this time I mean we're we're, we're coming upon uh, 180 AD and uh, and we're, and we're they're beginning to look at what is canon well you need to understand that by 175 AD the canon was basically established as I've already shared with you that 23 of the 27 books was already basically fully accepted as holy scripture and uh, and by the time we get to uh, the Council of Carthage, uh, the canon has basically been established. But that's that's a major part of the review. Now you will hear from Gnostic writers that uh, well, the Council of Nice and uh, Constantine uh, he forced it upon them to accept uh, the twenty-seven books of the New Testament and to reject these other Gnostic writings. That is fabrication that is historical rewrite uh, by by 175 AD uh, well before um, Constantine was ever born canon had already been established at the Council of Nice the discussion of canon was not even brought up there were other major doctrinal issues discussed but not the canonicity of Scripture. At the Council of Carthage in 397 AD, canon was fully and finally officially recognized based upon these six criteria. These, now this is not in your notes. Um, uh, and, uh, you may or may not want to write them down somewhere, but the the sixth criteria was is the writing done by a recognized prophet or apostle number two is the writing done by someone who is closely associated with a recognized prophet or apostle number three can you read this writing and is there a good quality of truthfulness in other words, does this writing declare what we already know to be true through other uh, canonical um, writings? Number four, 
is this writing faithful to all of the other canon or does it take 180 turn such as Mary Magdalene being the head of the New Testament church okay uh, number five is what is written in this document confirmed by Jesus Christ or the original apostles. In other words, the writing cannot be in contradiction to what Jesus Christ taught and what the original apostles taught. And then number six, is this writing used consistently in the churches? Uh, and is it recognized in the churches? As you know what, this is sacred writing. Now, when we talk about how come some of the, uh, of the things like the book of Maccabees, why, is, why are they not included in the, in the canon? Well, the reason is because they're not, they, don't, they don't meet all six of this criteria. Understand that every one of these six criteria had to be met 100% if it's going to be included in the canon. So three important points that you that you want to have, and let me make sure that I've got all of your blank spaces up till this time. Yes. So the call for a canon and three significant points: the New Testament books were recognized as canon as early as uh, 60 to 90 A.D. The New Testament books were recognized as canon as early as 60 to 90 AD. How do we know that? The Apostle Paul quoted from the book of Luke. The Apostle Peter referred to the writings of the Apostle Paul as, as scripture. Okay, The Council of Carthage in 397 AD did not establish the canon. They merely recognized what had already been accepted as canon by as, by as late as 175 AD. And then your third point is um, the canon was established 150 years before Emperor Constantine. 150 years before Emperor Constantine. Wow. That uh, nullifies several of the current arguments. Obviously, historical rewrite, right? Okay, we're going to take some table time now. And so it's going to be passed out to, uh, to the tables, each of you, a document. Two of the tables will receive a document that is a cake recipe. Two of the tables will receive a document that is uh, directions to a small town in Missouri. Now, what is your job with these two things? Well, those that received the recipe, you are to read that recipe very carefully. Don't assume that it is correct or incorrect because there's you're going to make that discovery 
but don't read it assuming it is already correct or it is already incorrect. Read it carefully, then together discuss the ingredients. Are the ingredients correct? Are those ingredients in the correct amounts? And then read the directions. Are the directions correct or incorrect? As you're reading it, if you find that, that it is exactly correct, then how do you think that cake is going to turn out? If you find that you think the ingredients need to be changed or some of the directions need to be changed, how would the cake turn out if you followed those directions you have on your paper? Uh, and then how would making changes to it make it turn out? So that's your assignment with the recipe. If you got, if you got an assignment with directions to this small town in Missouri, you're gonna need to read those directions and ask yourself uh, as you read it again don't go into it presuming anything just read it for its face value then go back and ask yourself these questions are the right highways being referred to are the right highways and right directions on those highways being referred to will these directions get me to Missouri and to this town in Missouri you want to evaluate that and if you feel that, that there are incorrect highways or incorrect directions, correct those so that you can get to that town in Missouri. Okay, with that, you're going to have about, uh, Loretta, let's give them about uh, 10 minutes, maybe maximum 15 minutes to work on this little assignment. So she's going to pause the video and then We'll come back in a few moments and we're going to continue our study. Well, coming back, so we need to ask ourselves about what are referred to as the Gnostic Gospels. Let me read to you again a couple of quotes, one from uh, uh, Jacoba Vici and, uh, and his companion writer and, uh, and then another one from Dan Brown. First from the Lost Gospels. Until now it seemed that we would never know which writings were closer to the original of Jesus. After all, one group of Jesus followers managed to become the official religion of the Roman Empire and they had a policy of murdering their opposition and burning their books. That's why we only hear the official voices. The book burning policy was explicitly articulated. This policy of destroying all versions of Christianity except one almost worked. But a funny thing happened on the way to historical oblivion. Some books survived. Some were hidden in jars, others were hidden in plain sight. And in the midst of all this, we find what appears to be an actual Gnostic narrative, a veritable lost gospel telling the story of the Bride of God. Now from Dan Brown in his book, The Da Vinci Code, he says, 
Fortunately for historians, some of the Gospels that Constantine attempted to eradicate managed to survive. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the 1950s hidden in a cave near Qumran in the Judean desert. The Coptic Scrolls in 1945 at Naj Hammadi. In addition to telling the true Grail story, the documents speak of Christ's ministry in very human terms. The scrolls highlight glaring historical discrepancies and fabrications, clearly confirming that the modern Bible was, comp was compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda to promote the divinity of Jesus Christ and use his influence to solidify their own power base. Wow, you talk about historical rewrite. It appears that all of our uh, modern Gnostic advocates, they want to blame everything on King Constantine and Roman Catholicism. They're totally ignoring the fact that, that the battle with Gnosticism began well over 150 years before King Constantine and that the canon of the 27 books of the New Testament or at least 23 of the 27 New Testament was established before 175 AD and by 175 AD 27 books had, were basically established and having nothing to do with King Constantine, the uh, Council of Carthage simply confirmed the 27 books of the New Testament based on what had been decided by 175 AD, 150 years before Constantine. This is just plain historical rewrite and total fabrication. And yet, it's being propounded over and over and over again. You go into Barnes and Nobles and you go onto Amazon and you will find tons of books that are, are advocating that the Gnostic writings are the true Bible and the New Testament is the fabricated Bible. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. And it certainly doesn't match history, doesn't, doesn't fit with the historical record at all. And again, what do we know? We said canon has to have a validation of historicity. And we have that in the New Testament. The Gnostic Gospels are altered Gospels. And uh, they do not reflect the earliest Christian records. It is amazing to me how that in the in the modern-day Gnosticism, they want to say that the Apostle Paul, that he co-opted Christianity and made it a Pauline Christianity, denying the Christianity of the Bride of God concept that is propounded over and over again in Gnosticism. Gnosticism uh, totally uh, advocates an immoral action, making Holy Communion sacred sex, and it's just, it, it, is a, it is a very polluted, 
polluted gospel. And it is, it is the gospel of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon, Hebrews, um, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. This, these books, they agree, they are in harmony together because they're written by Almighty God. And they, they are not, uh, the Gnostic Gospels totally violate that. So what are these Gnostic Gospels? Well, they're a collection of 55 books, not 80, as Dan Brown says. Some are written in Jewish, some are written in Coptic, some are even written in Chinese. The 50, 52 of those scrolls were found in Egypt by an Arab peasant while digging for fertilizer. He unearthed a red jar. Inside the jar were 13 leather-bound papyrus books written in Coptic. These became known as the Naj Hammadi, the Gnostic texts. In 1977, I think that is your next blank space. Yes, uh, excuse me, I, I didn't tell you the one. These Gospels are a collection of 55 books. That is your next blank space. Then your next one in 1977, an English translation of the Gnostic texts was printed and, and uh, published. Okay, again, these Gospels are 50, a collection of 55 books. In 1977, the Gnostic texts were printed and in English and published. These are referred to as the Gnostic Bible. Okay, the Gnostic Bible. Okay, what are they? The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of the Egyptians, the Apocalypse of Peter, the Apocalypse of Paul, Letter of Peter to Philip, the Thunder Perfect Mind, the Testimony of Truth. Now, I said that these are referred to as the Gnostic texts. They're also referred to as the secret gospels. The secret gospels. So after Gnostic text, if you would put in parentheses secret gospels. Okay? Now, when we're when we're talking about these writings, there are some other writings that uh, make up the 55, and that is the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Peter, and the Gospel of Mary. But now we have to ask ourselves a very, very important question. Are these Gospels really, truly, Gospels? 
gospel meaning good news the good news written by Matthew the good news written by Mark the good news written by Luke the good news written by John are these really gospels and the answer is no why because they're not written by who they say they are they're not written by Peter they're not written by Philip they're not written by Judas or by Thomas or any of the men and women who lived at the time of Jesus Christ these Gnostic Gospels these secret Gospels are pseudonyms the Gospel of Thomas was it written by Thomas the Gospel of Philip was it written by Philip the Apocalypse of Paul the Apocalypse of Peter was not written by Peter and Paul so who were they written by well let me share this with you this is very important the early church and the apostolic fathers would not consider a book canon that was not written by someone who knew Jesus Christ personally or who was taught by someone who knew Jesus Christ personally remember what I said when they were when they were considering what would be considered canon of the 27 books of the New Testament that it had to be written by a known prophet or apostle or by someone who was personally discipled by a known prophet or apostle okay someone that was considered a prophet or an apostle and their writings was considered canon was someone who had personally known Jesus Christ the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Galatia said I was given this by vision by Jesus Christ himself so his writings were considered canon Peter we're not writing to you fables we saw him the Apostle John in 1st John chapter 1 that which we have looked upon that which we have handled with our own hands okay canon canon the Gnostics were not canon because they were not written by men and women who knew Jesus Christ personally or they were not personally known by Peter, James, John, Paul. Okay, why not? Because they were written in some cases two centuries after. That is really, really, really important. Remember, we had said that the canon was written and confirmed by 90 AD. The earliest writings of the Gnostics was 150 AD. That was the earliest. So that's 60 years after the canon had been established. In some cases, they were written in uh, much, much later than that. So when we're looking at this, we can understand that we're not looking at canon when we're talking about the Gnostic Gospels. They're not canon. These books carry very little narrative. They mostly 
uh, are poems, their verses, their sayings. They carry very little narrative. They give no chronology. They they don't they they give no reference to location or to to cities. Uh, they're just simply a gathering of poems and sayings and verses. And uh, uh, these writings were not included in canon because they do not give an, a, an accurate revelation of God. They do not, and I'm, I'm sorry, I think we're, we're now looking at um, um, the, uh, are these writings truly gospels? Okay, the bottom of page one. They do not give an accurate revelation of God. They do not give an accurate revelation of what is known to be true. They do not give an accurate revelation of what has been previously known. They do not give an accurate revelation of historical truth. So they can't they, they clearly are not included as canon. Now I want to wrap up tonight by talking about uh, Mormonism and Muslims because their, their two books, the Book of Mormon and the Quran is talked about equal to the Holy Bible today. Almost as if they are equal. And if you're inside the circles of Mormonism or Islam, then it is considered to be equal. That they, they, uh, in fact, the Quran is considered by Muslims to be more accurate than the Holy Bible. And I have known some Mormons that consider the Book of Mormon to be more accurate than the Holy Bible. So what about these two? And this is where we're going to wrap up tonight. And let me let me uh, turn over. And um, I I think that uh, you you don't have blank spaces on the back, and so you can just uh, we can just go along. You may want to write some additional notes. But what about this? Well, let me let me share with you that um, the Muslim religion was established in 600 A.D. So over 500 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, over 500 years after the New Testament canon had been written. The Book of Mormon was written in 823 uh, AD, and so we're talking now uh, almost 1,800 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, 1,700 years after the New Testament canon had been written. Now, I want to give to you uh, uh, 16 shocking, stunning comparisons between Muhammad, the founder of the Muslim religion, and Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion. And I think you're going to find this stunning, and then we're going to draw a conclusion, okay? First of all, 
uh, uh, both of these claim angelic visitations. Both of these claim angelic visitations. Second, Muhammad and Joseph Smith claimed they were told that the Judaism and Christianity uh, was apostate and they were to bring the true religion to the earth. And so that's number three, that they had received a prophetic call to bring the truth and to bring true religion to planet earth. Both of them claimed that they were given visions that um, Muhammad would go into a cave and he would get this visitation from an angel and then he would go into a trance. Many times he would foam at the mouth. He would have what would appear to be an epileptic seizure and he would see this vision and from that vision then he would write the writings of the Quran. Joseph Smith received a vision of these golden tablets that no one could read because it was a reformed Egyptian hieroglyphic and you had to have these special glasses that were so large any human being would only be able to look through one lens, not through both lenses. But anyway, he was given these special glasses to read it. And then he claims that a professor at Harvard had said yes and confirmed that it was a, re a re revived or revised Egyptian hieroglyphics. That professor, by the way, uh, in uh, I believe it was 1837, I may be given a wrong, a wrong date there, it might have been a little bit later, but it was at the time of Joseph Smith, published a letter publicly stating that he did no such thing, that that was fabrication. But at any rate, they both claimed to have visions. They both wrote a book supposedly inspired by Almighty God. They both claimed to be illiterate and uneducated. Both of them claimed that their book was the most perfect and complete holy book ever written on planet Earth. Both claimed to be the final prophet of God. Both were polygamists. Smith had, I, I believe it was 33 wives, I believe Muhammad had 11. Now, I, I um, don't quote me on those numbers, but I, I think I'm remembering correctly. <coughs> Excuse me. Both were polygamous. The Muslim religion and the Mormon religion are counterfeit Christianity, and they both borrowed from pagan religions. <coughs> Excuse me, please. The Muslim religion borrowed from the pagan religions of uh, ancient Babylon and uh, Saudi Arabia. And uh, uh, the very name of the, of the moon god Allah, he borrowed and used referring to the god of the Muslim religion, Allah. The uh, Mormons, they borrowed from the pyramidology uh, uh, the religion of pyramidology and also freely borrowed from Freemasonry. Both received corrective visions and insights to rewrite their perfect book. Remember they claimed that they had the most perfect book 
in uh, a holy book in the history of mankind, and yet they both received corrective visions to correct it. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, and uh, both uh, make pilgrim pilgrimages uh, for the for the uh, Muslims. They have to make a, a Hajj a trip to Mecca for the Mormons to go to the temple in. Um, uh, in Utah, <coughs> excuse me, in Salt Lake City. <coughs> Both uh, Muslim and Mormon religion believe that God is not a trinity. Both believe that Jesus Christ is a man and a prophet of God. <coughs> uh, the Muslim religion does not believe Jesus was crucified on the cross. They certainly do not believe he rose from the dead, and they do not believe that he is the Son of God. The Mormon religion uh, teaches that Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, and uh, that he and Lucifer are brothers, uh, and that Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary by Adam, the same Adam that was in the Garden of Eden. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, both religions, both Mormons uh, and Muslims, teach that salvation is by good works and, uh, and by completing required practices of their religion. It's not salvation by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is true Christianity. But the Muslim religion and Mormonism teach it's by good works and by and by and by keeping the practices faithfully keeping the practices of that particular religion. That's how you get to heaven. Wow. Now this final one is a shocker. September 11th has great significance in both religions. September 11th 1857, Brigham Young had ordered the murder of 140 men, women, and children on a wagon train from Arkansas going to California. And the wagon train was in a mountain meadow in Utah. And he ordered the massacre. It started on September 7th. It was completed on September 11th. 1857. This is a historical fact. And while for many decades it was somewhat blamed on the Native Americans, it has been now confirmed completely it was by the order of Brigham Young to one of his uh, lieutenants. Now, we all are aware, I'm sure, that September 11, 2001, 19 Muslim terrorists hijacked 
four airplanes. Two of them were flown in to the towers of the World Trade Center. One of them was flown in to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. One of them, <clears throat> because of a brave man, crashed in the fields in Pennsylvania. 2,977 people perished that day. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? What a fascinating, fascinating comparison between Muslim religion and Mormonism. How could there be so many similarities? Because they're both conceived in the mind of the same being. Lucifer or Satan, whichever you want to call him, the dragon, the old serpent, he wants to distort and deceive mankind. And so he establishes his own holy book because he would be worshipped as God. And he is the author of the Muslim religion. He is the author of the Mormon religion. It's interesting because Moroni, the angel that Joseph Smith claims visited him, Moroni is an ancient deity of the Native American Indians. You can study it out. It's there. It's histori historical evidence. We must learn the Word of God, study it carefully, and give ourselves wholly into it. We must love the Word of God. We must love the truth. And we must carefully study it and compare all teachings. You know the story. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. Take the scripture within the context of its chapter, the context of its book, the context of its testament, the context of the whole of scripture. All prophetic words, all teachings, all books that you read cannot be in contradiction with the Holy Bible. They must be fully in agreement with the Holy Bible or they are not teaching truth. How reliable are the Holy Scriptures? 100%. How do we know it's the Word of God? Because God commanded men to write His Word. And the Holy Spirit carried them along and enabled them not to write their mind and their thoughts, but to write the mind and the thoughts of Almighty God. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask Loretta to come back and lead you in a closing prayer. God bless you. Great to study with you. We're going to come back next week and we're going to ask this question. It is such an important question as we just saw the Muslim religion and the Mormon religion teach that Jesus Christ was only a man. Why do we believe he was not only the Son of God, but God the Son. God bless you. I look forward to studying with you next week. Loretta's going to come and lead you in a prayer.